Hey, good morning, everyone. All right, let me take a little survey. <clears throat> there's there's some, something happening today. Uh, some, some big uh, events, some sporting events happening today. It's Super Bowl. How many of you, just by the raised hand, think the Carolina Panthers are going to win it today? Okay. How many of you think the Denver Broncos are going to win it? Okay. Oh, pretty pleased. How many of you think, how many you had no idea who was even in the Super Bowl today? Okay. How many of you, you just care about the commercials? How many of you, you're, you're just more excited about the nacho cheese dip that you're going to have at around, yeah, six o'clock. All right. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's a fun day. I, I, my prayer is that one day the Buffalo Bills will win the Super Bowl. Uh, before I die. Um, that's my dream. That's my ambitions. That's my hope. Uh, we're, we're going our new series. Uh, we're studying the book of Mark. And uh, last week we, we just started. And we're going we're gonna to look at these up close and personal encounters that, that Jesus had. And uh, Mark uh, writes down eyewitnesses account from, from Peter the Apostle of the things that, that Jesus went through. And, and if, if you look at the book of Mark, you can basically look at it as kind of two, two, two parts. Uh, as we go through the book of Mark, it, it reads like a quick story. Uh, these 16 chapters, you're going to see if you're reading through it, and I, and I would encourage you to read it y- yourself, um, and you can keep in step with what we're doing on st- Sunday morning. But it reads very quickly. You're, you're going to hear Mark use a lot of words like immediately. Jesus went immediately here. They immediately did this. And it, it reads like a rapid fire uh, book. And it's just such a wonderful gospel. But, but it, it gives us just some insight to the person of Christ. And so what you're going to basically see is when we look at the gospel mark, we're going to kind of see it split in two parts. We're going to see Jesus' ministry uh, at the beginning part of, of these chapters of Jesus calling his disciples, uh, Jesus working miracles and, and dealing with the demonic world. And then you're going to see towards the end of the book, you're going to see Jesus preparing uh, for the cross and, and preparing uh, for what's going to happen in the last week of his life. And then obviously Mark also deals with the uh, resurrection of Jesus and, and him being God and him conquering the grave. So it ends in this great crescendo of, of why Jesus came to fill the will of God and to show indeed that he is the son of God, that he is God, that he came for the sins of men, for you and I. And so uh, th- this book is such a, an incredible book. And I, I want us to just go through it and just look at how Jesus changes lives. It's, it's not just, uh, Jesus is not this impersonal person. God is not someone who is far off that we cannot relate to, but God himself came in the flesh incarnate to walk amongst us. And Jesus being fully God and fully man at the same time, showed us the way to the father and what it means to be a follower of him. And that's really what I want to, I want to tackle this subject today. What is it? What does it mean to actually be a follower of Jesus. What, what are the characteristics of that? Not, not just, not just uh, someone that says, well, you know, I've, d- I've done a few Christian things, or maybe I go to church, or maybe I just read my Bible. And all those things we, we see as characteristics of maybe a follower of Jesus. But, but really, what constitutes a follower of Jesus? And we're going to see um, in this very first chapter of Mark, Jesus calling some of his first disciples. And it's interesting what they did when Jesus called them. And, and I believe that there's some great characteristics that we can see in these early disciples. And here's the thing. Um, these disciples were no different from you and I. Jesus did not go out and, and, and call this elite group of, of super 
people or, 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 or super followers of God and said, you know, there's only this elite group that can actually follow me. There's only these Navy SEALs of Christians that can follow me. Jesus, that's not who he calls. He calls anyone. And it's interesting, the first type of individuals that he calls to, and, and these aren't the people that you would think that would actually be followers of Jesus. And, and, and I believe Jesus, he, he does this on purpose. And I believe it's for you and I that it gives hope to you and I when we feel like we're a failure or maybe we've let God down or maybe we feel like, you know, the things we've done in our past or, 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 or the mistakes that we've made in our past disqualifies us from really being a true follower of Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we can categorize um, disciples of Christ or followers of Jesus into two camps. Those that, that are really into it and those that give their whole life and then it's just like, well, I don't know if I qualify as that because I've made so many mistakes in my life. And, and I, I, hope this, I hope this encourages you today that, that, that the call of God goes out to everyone. And it's just not for an elite few. It's for all who answer the call of God. And so I want to jump into this first chapter of Mark. We're going to look at verses 16 through 20. So if you've got your Bibles or uh, you want to look up at, at the screen there, let's look at this first call to his, his first disciples uh, that Jesus calls. And it's at the Sea of Galilee. And we're going to see a couple of these guys that are fishermen and how God, Jesus, calls them. And so let's start with verse 16. It says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, uh, and John, his brother, who were in their boats, mending their nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Lord, Lord, I just pray today that, God, we would be the followers that you've called us to be, that we would see what does it truly mean to be a disciple or to be a follower of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that your call goes out to all. That, that Jesus, you're no respecter of person or what our background is or any, any, of that, any of that stuff. But your call goes out. And I pray, God, that we would understand this today. And thank you that you came to reach us, to personally give us an invitation to follow you. Thank you that you've given us everything possible to follow you. That, God, there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves righteous, but you did all that for us so that we could be a righteous follower of God. And so thank you, Jesus, for supplying all that on the cross for us, by dying for our sins, by being our substitute. And so, Lord, I pray that for those that feel like failures today, for those that feel like they don't measure up, for those that feel like they failed you, I pray that you would encourage them today, that, God, we, we every single one of us in this place, have made so many mistakes, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. But thank you for Jesus, who provides everything for us, who has given us everything that we can be a follower of you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So what's interesting here is the calling that Jesus makes to the, this appeal to follow him and leave everything to follow him. Now, think for a moment. What do we admire more in our country? Do we more, admire more followers or leaders? And I would have to say that, that we uh, like 
leaders. There, there's something that we admire about someone that is a leader. We, we say when we even look at young children when they're growing up, we say, boy, that, 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 that little boy or girl, they're going to make a great leader one day. They, they really stand up for themselves. And, and I admire great leaders and, and, and leaders that lead with integrity and, and that are, are moral. And, and good leadership is something that's important and something that we should admire. But, but for some reason, we don't seem to give a lot of credit to following. We, we like the leadership. We like those that lead, but, but we don't seem to admire so much those that, that, that follow. We will say things like, look at how Johnny is leading his team. But rarely have I ever heard someone say, look at how Johnny is following and listening. Which how many know that's just isn't important. Um, let me, let me illustrate it this way. Um, who was the leader of the Buffalo Bills during their Super Bowl? I, I got to go back to this because this is all I got, okay? So who was the leader for the Buffalo Bills during their Super Bowl run in the 1990s? Jim Kelly. Everybody knows Jim Kelly's just, Jim Kelly was a fantastic quarterback. The, the question I want to ask you, who was the center during all those years, who hiked the ball for Jim Kelly? Ken Hall. And, and Tim's the only one that knows it because he's from Buffalo, all right? So not many of us knew that, right? Unless you really are a, a good Buffalo Bill fan and you follow Kent Hall. Kent Hall was an amazing center who played that position for years with Buffalo. And if you were to ask Jim Kelly what position means the most to him, he would say... The guy that's hiking the ball to me, the guy that blocks for me, the other guards that block me, because Jim Kelly could not stand up unless he had people blocking for him. But who do we remember? Remember Jim Kelly. We don't remember Ken Hall or any, any of the other guards that were blocking for him. But if it wasn't for them, Jim Kelly said, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be throwing the ball at all. I couldn't do anything without those blockers. See, what makes a great team. What makes a great follower or a great team, are you ready? It's simple. Now, this isn't mind-blowing, but it's simple. It's one word. It's teamwork. What makes a great team is, is teamwork. And I remember this acrostic, and it's pretty simplistic, but it just makes sense. It's together, everyone achieves more. That's what makes a great team. Together, everyone achieves more. Jim Kelly couldn't do it without his line. He couldn't do it without his offensive line. And we all have a role to play. And not everyone is a leader. Not everyone is in charge. And my question is this for us today, as we've read this chapter and read these verses in the first chapter of the gospel of Mark. My question today is, are we good followers? Are we good followers? So I want to look just more in depth at Jesus's calling of these first disciples. And what we get here, um, we see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We, we call these the synoptic gospels because they're, they're very close and the stories are, are very similar. And some stories give us a little bit more in depth of the same story. And what Mark does uh, here, he gives us just kind of a synopsis of, of the calling of his first disciples. But, but Luke in his gospel actually gives us a little more in depth to what was going on in that scenario. 
And I want to look at that because, because what Luke does is he gives us a, a little more piece to, to the puzzle here, a little more insight to the story of, of what's going on with these first disciples that left everything to follow Jesus. Let me give some details here. In Luke chapter 5, he gives us a little more details. And what Luke does is he says, Simon and his brother were fishing and they caught nothing all night. So when Jesus calls them to drop their nets and come follow him, what happened? The scenario is at that moment, they were fishing all night and they caught nothing. Now, do you think they were in a good mood? No. Now, when I go fishing and I catch nothing, I'm not in a good mood sometimes when I come home. Because Kathleen, the first thing she'll ask me is, hey, did you catch anything? And she'll know right away when I walk in the door if I didn't catch anything, right? Now, I'm not catching for my livelihood, I'm going to still eat that night, right? This is their livelihood. When you don't catch anything, you're not getting any money. So right now, they're not in the greatest mood, and, and it, they're tired. They've been fishing all night, and they're mending their nets. And it's just, you know, they just want to go and sleep. And here Jesus comes, right? This is probably not the best time. This wasn't perfect timing, but here comes Jesus and they're mending their nets. They haven't caught anything. And Jesus, uh, <laughs> this just wasn't the right timing, right? And so what happens is Jesus uses Simon's boat to teach them. And after this, Jesus told Simon to put in his boat a little deeper and try again. Now at this point, they're mending their nets and they are tapped out. They are done. Okay, we've tried, we fished all night. So Simon Peter, being as nice as he can, says, listen, Jesus, we've, we've tried and we've caught nothing. And so he calls Jesus master, so he's not being disrespectful. And basically Peter's saying, listen, Jesus, forget about it. Forget about it, all right? It's, it's not working. It, it didn't happen tonight. And I can just imagine what Peter's thinking. He's saying, look, Jesus, no disrespect here, but I know fishing. I've done this my whole life. I've, I've been doing this my whole life. It's just not a good day. We've tried everything. We've fished every good spot. We've just fished the spot where you're telling us to go. It's not happening. Now, how many of you have heard this saying, Monday morning quarterback or an armchair quarterback? How many of you have ever heard that saying? This is, this is what, what this means. It's basically what a Monday morning quarterback is or an armchair quarterback is this. It's passing judgment from hindsight. How many of you know we are the best critics after that event has happened? Right? And we will say things like when something happens and someone, you know, watch a sporting event and someone doesn't make a right call or the ref doesn't make a right call or the quarterback doesn't do the right thing, we're all the first to jump in and say, wow, if I was him, I would have done that, that, right? And we think we're the best in the world. Hindsight is 2020, right? So we think we're the greatest. So Monday morning quarterback is someone who always criticizes and, and maybe says something that they would have done better or differently after the event had passed, okay? So, so here, they've been doing all this stuff, and now Jesus said, well, we'll go back out again and fish again. Now, let me give you a perfect example of this. Th this event actually happened on October 17th of last year at a college football game, and it was probably one of the craziest endings of a football game. There's, there's a few out there, but this one last year took the cake. 
This crazy ending of this football game was probably the most crazy ending of any college football game that happened last year. And here's what happened. It It was Michigan State, which had an unbeaten record, was on the line, and they were playing their rivals, Michigan. The score is Michigan is up 23 to 21 with eight seconds left. Michigan has the ball, and all they have to do is kick the ball away. The game is pretty much over. The punter just has to kick the ball. That's all he has to do. And this is what happens. Look up at the screens. Get it out. Oh, he has trouble with the snap. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State's Jalen Watts Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. Now, if you're a if you're a Michigan fan, that was you're 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 hurting right now, all right. Um, and and so what happens is the 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 kicker gets off. He didn't see it, and and he just he just fumbles it. And instead of just falling on it and covering, he like passes the ball to like the Michigan State player almost, and he just picks it up, runs it all the way back. They win the game. Time is out. Now, what happened after is incredible. This poor kicker. This poor kicker, there was so much criticism against so many Monday morning quarterbacks came out. So many armchair quarterbacks came out. This poor kicker had death threats against him. This poor guy. I mean, it was just, it was, it was horrible. This was such a big game, but all the critics came out and all, uh, you know, all sports center and all, you know, all, all the people that talk about the radio hosts and everything just talked about what they could have done different, what they could have done. Different. This was, this was just the epitome of armchair quarterbacking of what you heard the next day. And you just feel for this poor, poor kicker and all the, all the critique and all the, all the, Adamasi that came against him uh, the days and weeks uh, that followed that, that game. But at the end of the day, Alabama won the national championship, so this did not even matter, so he's off the hook. But anyways, so what, what, what is it about this? It's for us, many times we'll look at a situation and we'll say, well, I've could have, I've could have, I could have done that better. And we have no idea maybe what that person's going through or the decisions that that person is making. Now, what's going on in this story? Is, is, is Jesus being an armchair quarterback? I, I don't think Jesus was criticizing Peter or telling him how to do his job. I don't believe that's what Peter was doing. But here's what I want you to see about Peter and his response to Jesus after Jesus says, listen, you've been up all night You've caught no fish. You're mending your nets. Now, Jesus says, now go put your boats back in. Go out a little bit deeper and try it again. Here is what I love about Peter's response. Here's where it is, people. Here's at the heart and the crux of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. Look at his response. Luke 5, 5 tells us the response of Simon Peter. And this is what he says. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so. It doesn't make sense. I've fished all my life. 
I'm an experienced fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but because you say so, I'm going to drop the nets. I'm going to drop my nets and I'm going to go back out and I'm going to do as you tell me to do, Jesus. You see, at the heart of being a follower of Jesus is this. It's not how much Bible you know. All right. It's not how many verses you've memorized. All those things are fine and dandy. At the heart of being a follower of Christ is obedience. That's it. It's obedience. It's listening to his voice when it doesn't make sense. It's going against your pride and maybe your knowledge and maybe what you think is right and what you think is best. It's going against all those things and saying, Jesus, you know what? I know this doesn't make sense, but I'm going to follow you and I'm going to obey you. At the heart of discipleship and following Christ is obedience. And see, I love Peter's heart. I will follow, follow you even though it doesn't make sense. Even though I think I know what's best, I will follow you. And what happens next is every person who loves to fish, this is what fishing dreams are made out of, okay? And what happens? Well, the story tells us is this in the Gospels, that the nets were full of fish. Not only were they so full of fish that their nets were breaking and the boat was sinking. because Now, they just came in. And so Peter knows that, that this is a miracle. There's so many fish. They're, it's just their boat is fishing. This is, this is a fisherman's, this is his dream. And so Peter's like, what is going on here? This man is of God. There, there's, this is a miracle. See, when my son Wesley and I go fishing, I love to hear um, my line stripping. When you hear that, I giggle like a little girl. In fact, Wesley has a YouTube channel of me giggling like a little girl when we're fishing. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. He doesn't. Um, and he better not get any ideas to do that either because I will hurt him. But anyways, um, when you hear that line stripping, you know that there's a big one. on, And you know you got a fight on your hand. That is so much fun. I mean, that's what makes, makes the whole day worthwhile when you hear that. Here they come in and their nets are completely full. And so what, hap- what happens next is the scriptures tell us that Peter falls at Jesus' feet and humbles himself and calls himself a sinful man. Now you're thinking, why does Peter do that? Because what happens here is I want you to see something. When Jesus called Peter, when he called Simon, he wanted to see where his heart was at. He he wanted to see, are are you going to obey me even when it doesn't make sense? And so what happened is, Yes, he was happy because of all the fish. But what happened for Simon Peter was this. God revealed something in his heart. And Simon re- revealed to his, himself and to his own heart. He says, you know what? I'm a sinful man. I, I was, I, 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 God revealed to me that I need to obey him. And so it turned from being maybe just like, okay, I'm going to do this. Whatever, Jesus, you know. But it revealed in Simon's heart that he really said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to obey you, Jesus. If you say so, I'm going to do this. And then because he was obedient and this miracle happened, it revealed something to Simon that he says, I am in the midst of greatness. I am in the midst of God himself. And listen, listen to me closely. In order to be a follower of Christ, 
God's going to reveal to you a couple things in your heart. When you come into God's midst, the first thing that always happens that he reveals to you is the sinfulness of our own lives. And, and so what he did was he revealed that. And, and, and I love Jesus' response here because he knows, he sees this. Uh, uh, Peter humbles himself and says, oh my, you are God. I am such a sinful man. Just like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. You know, when he came before the Lord and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And what does God do? He takes the coal off the altar and cleanses him. He does the cleansing. And I love Jesus' response here. Jesus actually comforts Peter and says, do not be afraid. Guess what I'm going to do for you now? I'm going to make you fishers of men, and I'm going to do something even greater. Come follow me. So, so let's get an understanding here of a disciple in the time of Jesus. Let me give you some background here of what these words mean when Jesus says to come follow me. Now, Peter and the rest of these early disciples would understand the cost of discipleship. And, and here's, here's the reason why. I want to give you an example of what it meant to, to follow a, a, a rabbi in that first century. And, and here's, here's, here's what I want you, I want you to get an understanding of the culture of that time. Because Jesus' calling to these fishermen are so unique and so different from the calling of a disciple during that first time. And so what you have is in the, in the center of a Jewish town or village, you would have that place of worship, the synagogue. And, and the rabbi would be the teacher, the spiritual leader who taught from the word of God. And this is the way it was done very early in children's life. A rabbi would also teach the children from about age four or five or so to about the age of 12, they would learn from the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. And they would learn to read and write from this. And many, uh, would, many would memorize either parts or whole parts of the Torah. It was incredible. And when they would finish this school, which was called Beth Sefer, they would go on to schooling. And this was kind of like their elementary school. At this point, um, girls would be done and they would go into the home and only the brightest could continue the schooling and Beth Midros. And this would be the next level of schooling for the brightest of those children. And what they would do in Beth Midrash is they would go on and then continue their learning under the rabbi, and they would also learn a trade. Now, what, now many families would push for this because um, if you would not go on in this schooling, you would go into your family business, fisherman or a carpenter, just like what we see with the early disciples. Now, for those that would finish Beth Midras, many would go just into the family business. But for a select, select few, very select few, they would actually go and pick a famous rabbi and they would leave everything. They would leave their home. They would leave everything to go and actually follow in the foots, footsteps of that rabbi. And they would learn everything to actually try to become that level of a teacher or a rabbi, and they would leave everything to do that. And this was just hard. It was difficult. It was only for the elite of the elite to actually be called a Talmud or a disciple. 
to actually get to that level, then you were called a Talmud or a disciple. To get to that very high elite level and very few would ever get there. So for most people, they would go about worshiping the synagogue, but they would just do their normal, normal jobs. Here's what makes the calling of Jesus so different. He called the ones that didn't make it. That didn't make it to a Talmud. That maybe didn't even make it to Beth Midrash school. He calls them to follow him. Jesus' call is for all who said, I will come. Not because of the education or or their status or the mistakes that they've made. Jesus' call goes to all. And Jesus says, come and follow me. So the question I want to pose to us here this morning is, is what makes a good follower? Because it, we see right now, Jesus called and go out for the, the Talmids, the ones that were in this elite group of disciples that he didn't call them. He could have easily went to them and say, Hey, why don't you guys follow me? Because you are the dream team of disciples. So why don't you follow me? He goes right to the ones that didn't make it through these schools. He goes out and calls them. And so the question is, what makes a good follower of Jesus? And I would say this. A good follower of Jesus is a person that drops their nets. A good follower of Jesus is a person that says, I am willing to drop my nets, my life, what I think is important, what I think is right, To follow you, Jesus, because I know that you're the way, the truth, and the life. And so what are the characteristics that we see in the word of God that makes a good follower of Jesus Christ? Because I think we get mixed up in discipleship. Because I think we think discipleship is all about knowledge. Jesus wasn't looking for the most knowledgeable. Because he would have gone to the Talmuds, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he have? He didn't. See, discipleship... And being a follower of Jesus Christ is all about dropping your nets and listening to the voice of God and becoming obedient to him. What does that look like? Let me give you just a couple things here. I just want to give you like six things here this morning that that looks like real quick. So let me give you the first one. What makes a, what makes a good follower of Jesus Christ? And, 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 and the, and the reason why these are so different from our world today, because it seems like all we hear about in our world today is what it takes to be a great leader. And, and we see book after book after book after book about leadership and so on and so forth. Yet, yet I want to propose to you that you cannot become a great leader until you become a great follower. And so let's look at what that means. So here's the sign of a great follower. First of all, they never stop growing. A good follower of Jesus Christ never stops growing. That they never get to the point to where they say, I know it all. So a good follower is one that's constantly listening, one that's constantly reading, one that's constantly learning, one that even says he looks at a little child and says, I can learn from a little child, right? That's why I loved about being a, uh, a youth pastor and children's pastor when I was in South Carolina, because when I was a children's pastor, we used to do the prayer request with the kids and you would learn a lot about their parents during the prayer, prayer request time. It was really cool. I used to love it. Tell me more. No, it was fine. They were, and what I loved about the little kids, 
um, especially the ages like five, six, and seven, because they, they could care less what they said. There was no filter on their prayer request. There was no framing that prayer request in the right light so you would see it in the right perfect light. It was just blah, right? And I loved it because there was something about that innocence and trust and not caring what other people thought. They would just tell, I mean, it, I remember there, there, there's this one little girl and, and um, she would say, Pastor Barn, I said, I said she, yeah, she said, would you pray for my boo-boo? And I said, okay, what, what happened? She said, well, I fell down and I, I really scraped my knee real bad. And I said, I see you did. She was always oh, bleeding and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And she had a dress and I go, well, let me see your knee. And there was nothing there. And I go, well, there's nothing there. She goes, well, this happened last year. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Oh, we'll pray about that. Okay, just didn't forget. Okay, we'll pray for that, that boo. But I just, it's just, you, you can learn from kids. And it's just, it's never, it's keeping humble. It's keeping like, God, there's never a point to where, where I'm going to just arrive that I keep growing. It keeps our heart humble. The second thing is that, that a good follower is just a good note taker. It's, it's somebody that just says, you know what? I can learn something from, from, from anything. And I want to take notes and I just want to be not necessarily taking notes, like writing it down. That's you should be doing that. But, you know, it's just reading your Bibles and putting side notes in your Bible and saying, God, what are you speaking to me? I want to remember this. I I want this to be part of my life. It's a note taker. It's a learner. Uh, it's, it's somebody that, that just wants to learn in every situation. And maybe there's something that, 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 that God shows you during the day and you want to write that, you write that thing down because you want God to speak that to your heart. A good follower supports those that are in leadership. A good follower supports those that have to make decisions and those that have to lead. Let me give you a couple scriptures here. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. It says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to do what? To watch over your souls. And here's the kicker. And they are accountable to who? If you don't think that scares me to death, it does. Because for the one that teaches God's word, for the one that has to lead spiritually, is the one that is ultimately accountable to God, that I will have to give an account to God one day on how I led you and led this church spiritually. And if you don't think that scares me, it does. And that's why I always want you to pray, pray for me as, as your pastor. It says, and, and I love this because when we um, support and, and, and obey those that are over us spiritually, um, I like this. Give them a reason to do this with joy and not sorrow. That they would certainly, that would certainly not be for your benefit. So, so a good follower is one that supports those that are, are, are leading spiritually, that you pray for the pastors here at this church or, or, or those that, that, that are leading your, your, your children or, or whatever it is. How many of us know it, 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 it we can always, we always think this way, that we can always do it better than someone else, right? And, and, and we can become very critical if we're not careful. And, and let's learn to, to also pray for those in leadership, even if it's writing a note of encouragement to somebody. Sometimes we have no idea the pressure that your child's teacher is going through or a coach or a boss is going through or your pastors, whatever that may be, and, and learn to, to, to pray for them and, and to encourage them. I like what 1 Timothy says here as Paul writes to Timothy. 
He says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then he specifically says, for kings and those in what? Authority. That, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives, all godliness and holiness. So what does he tell us to do for those that are in authority over us? To pray for them. Now, we may not agree with their positions or maybe in governmental positions over us, but what are we to do, Paul says? We're to pray for them. Pray for them. And so this is a, this is a position that God wants us to take as followers of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and specifically, as we see in this, in this reading, those that are spiritually over us, that we encourage them, that we pray for them, those that are in leadership. The fourth thing I want you to see there about a good follower is, 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 is that they work for peace and reconciliation. I like what Romans fourteen nineteen says. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual, what? Edification. So we work, when, when we're in disagreement with someone, we work to reconcile that because we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. We, we don't want to pull apart or dismantle our relationships. But if we have the love of Christ in us and what Christ has done for us, how he saved us by his grace and how he's reconciled us back to God, then we need to be the ones, that's, we're followers of Christ, we need to be the ones that are offering that reconciliation and working that relationship out and not walking in bitterness and brokenness. And so a follower works for that peace and reconciliation and, 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 and has that in the forefront of their mind. The fifth thing I want you to see there about a good follower is they, they are the ones that lift up others at the expense of themselves. They lift up others at the expense of themselves. They don't need to get the glory. A good follower says, you know what? I want to look at somebody else and what they're doing and say, you're doing a great job. Even if it's at the expense of myself, I don't want to lift myself up. I don't want to put myself in the forefront. I want Christ to be glorified through my life as I encourage others and tell them that they're doing a good job and keep running the race. That's what a good follower does. It's not about ourselves. It's not about turning the spotlight back on ourselves. It's not about trying to one-up somebody else in a conversation. Right? How have you been in that situation? You're talking to somebody and you're saying something that good happened and then they, they tell you something one better than you, right? Yeah, my child did really good. Yeah, they made the honor roll and they worked really hard because they never made the honor roll before. And then the next thing you know, the person says, well, my, my child made the high honor roll. Well, goody, goody gumdrops for you, okay? Thank you for making me feel worse now. No, you know what I'm saying? It's just, let's, let's not always turn that spotlight back on us. Let, let's, let's lift others up at the expense of ourselves. And then the last thing here is, and we could have so many, but, but the last thing here is th- that a good follower of Jesus doesn't have all the answers and is willing to admit when they're wrong. And that's just basically walking in humility. Ephesians 4.2, be completely humble and gentle with patience, bearing with one another in love. Be completely humble and gentle. It, it, it's not about I've got all the answers, but it's willing to admit when we're wrong and we've made a mistake and we're working towards reconciling with one another, walking humbly before the Lord. That is what I love about the heart of this story is that for Peter, 
He said, Master, if that's what you want me to do, then I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay my nets down and I'm going to drop them again, even though I know it's probably not going to catch anything, but I'll do it, Jesus, because that's what you told me to do. And all of a sudden, this great miracle happened. Simon recognizes his sin. And then he literally drops his nets to follow Jesus. He walked away to follow Christ. And he realized that there's something special about this man. There's something different about him. That I'm going to be willing to listen to his voice and to follow him. And so my question to you as we just jump into communion this morning. Is there a net that you have to drop in your life this morning? What, what's keeping you from maybe following Jesus the way he desires you to follow him? Maybe, maybe it's bitterness in your past. Maybe there's something that, that, that Jesus is wanting you to do, but you've relinquished it. You just haven't dropped your net yet. Whether it's because you just don't want to or it's stubbornness or whatever. The call goes out and Jesus says, drop your net. Drop it. Whatever it is, whatever that thing is keeping you from allowing you to be that follower that I desire you to be, what is that thing that's keeping you from following me? And so we're going to pray as, 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 as we go to communion, Paul gives us some specific instructions as we take communion. And he says, examine your heart so that you don't reap any condemnation on yourself as you take communion. Because what we're, when we take communion, what we're recognizing is what Christ did for us. That his body was given for us. That his blood was shed for us on the cross. And anytime we do this, we're doing this in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. And the price that he paid for the debt of our sins that we could not pay ourselves. Jesus paid for us. And so in order for me to come to the table, to come to the communion table, Paul says, examine if there's anything in your heart that you know ought not be there. This is the time, guys. This is the time where we lay it down and we say, before I take this communion, because I understand what it represents, I don't want to take this in an unworthy manner. This is the time where we can say, Lord, yeah, there, there's, there's, there is a net that I've got to drop in my life. There's something that's holding me back from following you completely. There's something that's holding me back from knowing you and, and wanting to know more about you. That doesn't mean you're not necessarily a Christian or a follower of Jesus. There just means there's something in your heart that you're holding back and not letting God take control of. There's some area of obedience in our life and let the Holy Spirit reveal that to you and lay that down before we take communion today so that we take it in a worthy manner. Christ is waiting and he wants to take that away from you and give you life today. And not allow you to hang on to that thing, that bitterness. And just as the same words that Jesus said to Peter, he says, listen, he comforted him. He comforted him. And said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He didn't condemn him. He gave him a purpose for his life now. A real purpose. And it was so much more than just catching fish purpose of your life is so much more than your occupation. Jesus says, I want you to be someone that is going to be used in changing souls for my glory. What a great purpose. What a great change that he did for Simon Peter.